to the Real Appeal Podcast, hearing that catchy tune, that's uh, Randy Newman doing the Toy Stories theme. Great. Who's Randy Newman? I think it's Randy Newman. He's the guy who made the Toy Story theme song. You I know think. more than I do. I, you know what? I always get that name mixed up. I, I'm probably wrong, but I'm not. So. Tappity tap tap, as tap Mark it. finds out. I know. Tappity tappity tap 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 Yeah, it's Randy Newman. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> welcome everybody back to the Real Appeal Podcast. Uh, I am Mark Salcedo, the uh, writer, well, one of the writers, uh, managing editor for ScreenGeek.net. Uh, that very nice, sweet voice uh, critiquing me as usual is my co-host. Kelsey and Loisel. I am a writer and editor for ScreenGeek.net as well. Not .com, like I said last week. Oh, yes. Dot, <laughs> .net. Dot .net. Uh, uh, so if this is your first time uh, catching our show, we are a film news podcast. Uh, we do some film news. We've got like a, a recommendation, recommendation, suggestion. Words. So, words. <laughs> uh, section. And we do uh, one recent review. Uh, this week we're going to be doing Toy Story 4. And uh, the whole reason why this show exists, uh, I have Kelsey explain like I, like she does every episode. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I do all the work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all the heavy lifting. Mark does most of the heavy lifting. I'm not going to lie. Oh, please. Um, the show is about... A girl in her toy. No. <laughs> oh, that sounded kind of dirty. That sounded weird. Okay. <laughs> it's, um, you know, I don't really, I didn't really grow up watching film. Mm-hmm. And I started really watching and enjoying films once we really started talking. And once I was introduced to the world of film, I kind of couldn't stop. Yes. Um, but that made me kind of think like, Hmm, what have I missed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so Mark is here to kind of guide, guide me you, on yeah. that journey. Yeah, we're going to be on the, uh, we're on the wooden boat in the river sticks, And I'm just kind of pushing you along to the afterlife mm. of, of film. But I cannot, I don't hold back when, I, when he's wrong, you know. Yeah. So she, so pretty much, you know, Kelsey, you grew up in, in the world of not, nostalgia or non-nostalgia yeah not nostalgia yeah. i grew up in the nothing in the nothing you grew up in the void uh so uh she's we have this show so we can take a look back at like these old films that are considered classics or cult classics and she takes a view view of them without the nostalgic lens and she gives them like an honest critique you know sometimes they'll, sometimes there are films that people love and she just does not get why people like this movie because she can just see all the errors in it. And I'm the one who has to defend it. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of these films will be garbage to some people. Some some of them are beloved. Like, Look, a a one man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm-hmm. And I am the trash who gets that treasure. And I'm a woman, so I don't equate at all. At, at I'm better all. than all of that. Oh, God. <laughs> So yeah, that's 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 our that's 
why we do this show and we want to you know spread that information out to everybody because we think it's funny Ta-da. Ta-da. so we're gonna go ahead and jump into the film news um so what happened in film news this past week uh keanu reeves uh everybody's all about keanu reeves right not now. me you you liked him in Point Break though. Yeah, but you're saying everyone's all about Keanu Reeves right oh, now, yeah, and you're not all about. I'm him. not because every time you bring it up, I hate him more because it's like, it's like he's being shoved down my throat now. Okay, well you know who's all about Keanu Reeves? Marvel. Marvel's about Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it came out that uh, Marvel is actually now has now f- approached Keanu Reeves. Um, to try to get him in some some type of Marvel Studios production, um, but come to find out, he, he, this is not his first time. Uh, what happened was that Kevin Feige had quoted had commented on Keanu Reeves joining the MCU in some capacity, um, and they've tried for about almost every movie that uh, Marvel has made, and they haven't found the perfect role for him. So. You know, they're hoping maybe this time around, because right now everybody's about Keanu Reeves. He's like in this new video game, Cyberpunk 2027. No, 2077. He was in, uh, what's that, Call Me? Maybe. Maybe Call Me? That oh, always be my maybe. Always be my maybe. You know, there was jokes. And of course, John Wick 1, 2, and 3, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, yeah, Marvel's trying to get into that Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Where does it go? Resonances? There you go. Keanu Reeves. Like a Matthew McConaughey reconnaissance, but Keanu Reeves. I never heard of that before in my life. Yeah, this blank stare from Kelsey. Like, huh? <laughs> however, mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves. Yes, I forgot what I was going to say about him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I heard it. I, I get what you're. I, 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 I'm actually glad you're not the only one who has this view of Keanu Reeves. Um. Someone, a podcast I was listening to, The Nerdpocalypse, and one of the co-hosts, Micah Payne, had <laughs> said that he doesn't want Keanu Reeves in a Marvel film. Oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> was that it? Or? <laughs> no, it has something to do with Marvel. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Let me finish my story. So he said that uh, the reason why is because Keanu Reeves is essentially Nicolas Cage, but on Quaaludes. <laughs> which was hilarious and i was like shit i can't shake that now it's, it's no it's exactly there. it's all there um i think marvel has can like you said oh they love they love keanu reeves mm-hmm. i think they have him in the friend zone oh what the <laughs> <laughs> now they're getting serious no 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 keanu reeves had him in the friend zone no no yeah. no, no they had him in the friend zone because no, they're think. looking for a perfect role for him if uh-uh. they loved him that much they'd be like Sure, you can be Captain America. <laughs> okay, that would have been weird. You could be Captain America and Thor and Iron Man mm. and Black Widow. And Black Panther. And Black Panther. Yeah. <laughs> you don't uh, even have to blackface for it. We just, you know. We'll believe it. We'll believe you're the king of Wakanda. <laughs> uh, but it, it has been rumored for a little while that Keanu Reeves um, is supposedly is in talks to show up in the Internals, um, Marvel's other big galactic uh, film that they're trying to get off the ground. So he might show up in there, but I honestly don't think that he would really be in more than one Marvel movie. Because his age, and he seems like a guy who's just like, I just want to do one and done. He just want to carry a franchise. Except John Wick. Except John Wick, which yeah. he should not have done that third one. Yeah, but that's all him. That's like, I'm Keanu Reeves, I'm John Wick. <laughs> I'm Keanu Reeves, I'm old. You know what? <laughs> hmm. 
I saw on Facebook, you know how um, someone will say, oh, I fed a bot a thousand hours of such and such a thing. Yes. And um, there was one for Bob Ross. There was one for an Olive Garden commercial. Uh-huh. They did one for John Wick. Yes, I read this. The f- I that, Within that, the first dialogue, I was cracking up. That, that script? Totally way better. <laughs> than, what, than John Wick? Yes, I actually <laughs> think Keanu Reeves uh, should uh, act out that script. Oh, my God. What, I would pay. I would kill my firstborn for that. You would do that anyway. <laughs> no, jokes, jokes. Um, That's a secret. Yeah, I remember like the, the, the one of the characters in the script was like, Big bad mob man or some shit yeah. like that. Big mob man. There you go. He's big mob man. Big mob man. Big mob man. And uh, he, Keanu Reeves, got his wish in the script and used the dog as a weapon. He first used a horse yes. as a gun <laughs> and killed twenty nine thousand people all at once. Out of like fifty nine thousand men that came out of one. Car. It was so ridiculous. We're, we'll we'll definitely put in the link uh, for the show notes. But you guys gotta read this. We we're I, I was cracking up. I. Kelsey had sent me uh, a text saying, like, hey, you should, like, check out what I posted. And when I saw it, I went, yes. That's always, like, <laughs> yes. Fuck everything. I'm stopping and watch, reading this right now. But it's, uh, it's great. Great shit. Gold. Gold. It's gold. <laughs> gold. Uh, Kelsey, what? Oh, I'm going to leave. I want you to leave this because we attended the event. Okay, look. I don't know who the fuck John Woo is. Mm-hmm. You have seen one of his movies, though. Okay, here's the thing. Ah. Once upon a time, Mark Salcedo introduced me to the Mission Impossible franchise. No, actually, I'll tell you about you've seen two of his movies, but yeah, let's go. Let's... I, don't, don't, don't bury the lead here. Okay, sorry. I have a sorry. whole story, sorry. a very mundane story that I'm really building up to make people interested, okay? Okay. You showed me these movies back to back. The entire Mission Impossible franchise for an article I was uh, putting together. Uh-huh. Yes. And we watched the second one. It was the funniest shit I ever saw in my life. <laughs> and I don't think that was intentional. <laughs> no, it was not intentional. And every time someone brings up Mission Impossible 2, mm. all I can see is Tom Cruise Fabio dosi doing in a convertible car with some chick. With his free-flowing hair and slow motion. Mm. And intense stares. Very rapey stares. So, um... Then afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, I introduced you to your first John Woo movie. Mm-hmm. And then you started looking through all his other movies and telling me what he's done. And lo and behold, Face Off came up. Face Off. And I was like, no. <laughs> I watched that one. And my mom actually owned that movie. And I actually really enjoyed that movie. And it, it doesn't, doesn't think- suffer from a lot of the same. It has some of the same issues of issues but yeah. most of those pitfalls i think he wasted those all up on mission impossible 2 yeah um miss possible oh no i'm sorry not Mission possible 2 uh face off is kind of like a weird classic it's just like dumb action film mm-hmm. and it's like nicholas cage is going like fucking wild mm-hmm. wild but it's great but you got to see john travolta not be the nice guy which you're used to seeing yeah so. he was a, it was a switch up but the reason why we uh bringing up you know John Woo. John Woo is. He, uh, so he was at an event where um, we were at like this vintage theater. Yeah, they only the, had like one screen. It's the Vista. Yeah, out in LA. Um, he, you know, 
they had a ceremony where they had his handprint in the cement and then, you know, did a QA. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a lot of good stories to tell. Yeah, he. I, I don't remember this story, but Kelsey does. It's the Mission Impossible 2 story, which is hilarious. But please. All right. So John Woo was saying how he he doesn't really write scripts. Mm-hmm. He pretty much will come onto the set every single day and tell people what he wants them to do. And that's that's how he makes a movie. He doesn't write a script. So he did Face Off. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise, I think it was Tom Cruise, really liked him. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. And said, hey, I really want you to do Mission Impossible 2. And John was like, why me? He like, sure, but why me? He's like, I just really like what you did in Face Off. He's like, all right. So apparently the only script that he wrote was for Tom Cruise's lines. So Tom <laughs> Cruise had a script. And him and he said only six people had the script, but I think like one of them was like the producer. Yeah, you know, like so it wasn't probably, even like actors and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure like the actors, like the the co-stars and stuff like that. I'm sure they got like some form of a script or was some kind of like direction of like you're gonna say this to Tom Cruise. They probably just got the direction because yeah. they really. He said they didn't have a script. He didn't write a <laughs> script for them. So. um actually i remember now Mm -hmm. he said that every day he would write that part of the story right yeah and he would hand it to tom cruise's assistant and the assistant would bring it to tom cruise Uh and then tom cruise i don't know if it was tom cruise or like i don't remember i have to like listen to the audio but it was somebody's assistant yeah that person would read the script call john woo up Say, okay, I like this, this, and this, but what if we tried this? And then he would hand the script back to the assistant, and the assistant would go back to John Woo and give it to, to him. And then that's how they would, like, communicate. It was really weird. <laughs> great, great communication between director and leading <laughs> leading uh, actor. Great sense of direction. I know. <laughs> but, like, the, I mean... Yeah, that movie is considered like the worst out of the whole Mission Impossible franchise. But, but it's, it's also the best. Yeah, it's also the best. It's like the most fun. It's just like, all right, check your brain at the door. Yeah. That's it. Um, And that's, so that's how he has made like all of his movies. Yeah, he doesn't like really come with a script. He kind of has an idea and a feel of like what he wants to do and kind of like go from there. And it, like that. If you've seen some, like some of his older films, like Hard Boiled and uh, uh, The Killers and stuff like that, are great action films, but they kind of follow like the same tropes because he knows what's best. But I don't know his. I guess the way how his mind works so well that he can really know where to place the camera, and it's like I want you to do this exactly this, and then he just does it. Like mm-hmm. he's almost like those artists, those like musicians or comedians who are like, I'm just gonna go like improv this shit all the way. Right. Yeah. Um. And then also, he knew um, Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah, before he, he was, was Jackie stunt, Chan. When, yeah, when he was a stunt double. Yeah. Um, and then he even tried to, he was like, wow, this guy has so much talent. Mm. And Jackie Chan, he didn't really want to be a stunt double, but he did it because he was hoping someone would notice him. Yeah. And John Woo noticed him. And yeah. he was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go talk to the director, who, or not the director, to whoever. The, like, production. It the, was, the, the production company. Yeah, that was when he was with uh, the Shaw Brothers, which is like a right. really well-known like uh, 
uh, Asian, huh? yeah, Asian cinema, like legendary kung fu films. Yeah. So he um, he told them about this guy named Jackie Chan. That's like really really great. And they're like, no, we don't we don't <laughs> we're not interested. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how like he says like they weren't interested, but eventually they were. Like he had like a serious contract with the Shaw Brothers. Um, but this is like. I don't know, five, six, seven years. Oh, this is after Bruce Lee had died because everybody was trying to find the next Bruce Lee and the Shaw brothers were like, hey, what about that Jackie, Jackie Chan kid? And wow, mm. that's Jackie Chan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he kind of talked about how being a stunt double was kind of dangerous. Oh, yeah. Because there were times where Jackie Chan got kind of fucked up, but he's like, no, I'll do it anyway. And I know it's going to hurt, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and... How a few people almost died because it was really physical, like. <laughs> that is uh, Asian cinema back back in the days. They yeah. were fuck. <laughs> um, it was really hard to hear his uh, his interview. His Q- well, no, it wasn't an interview. It was a Q and A. It was a Q and A. It was a Q and A brought together by the uh, Secret Movie Club, thirty five millimeter, a really great organization that Kelsey and I frequent. Um. What, every like couple months or something like that, we'll check out a film that they're, yeah. they're actually out. we're due because we haven't in a while, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the um, the organizer Craig Hamill is a really nice guy. Uh, Kelsey and I got to sit down and have an interview with him uh, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. which you know, we're gonna be posting that hopefully soon. Um, probably like give it like a link when it's posted, or then you'll see it on screengeek.net. But I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all I had to say. It was actually, I do have one thing to say. Mm-hmm. In that whole room, being an outsider and not really knowing who John Woo is, yeah, the love that you see on all those nerds' faces, like, it wasn't like nerds like in the worst sense of the word. It's, oh, no, like, it's like true The fans. best, yeah, the best sense of the word. Like, they revere this guy yeah because he has so much talent such an incredible like storytelling capability and it's just so much artistry and what he does and how he thinks and you can Mm. just see like even even the programmer that you mentioned craig hamill Mm. you could just see in his face he's like oh my god yeah like even though yeah even though i saw you 30 years ago i'm seeing you again i love you Yeah, like, even after the Q&A, John Woo got a, a standing ovation just from that Q&A that was, like, an hour long. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, they showed The Killers, um, one of John Woo's classic uh, action films. People were clap, clapping, hooting, hollering during the whole movie. It was, it was a great it was a great thing. Yeah. Great event. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a news in our outing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now for something sad. Uh, but great at the same time. Uh, Max Landis is a piece of shit. Uh, for you, for people who don't know, Max Landis is the son of John Landis, famous uh, director of what? Animal House, Ghostbusters, Coming to America. This dude has like a legacy going back into like the seventies. Well, his son is a writer in Hollywood. Um, not a very good one, if I can be honest. He he did Chronicle. Good film. Everything else was just crap. He did so, Brightburn. Bright, yeah, Which? Brightburn. <laughs> Brightburn. He burned bright, and that and he burned out really fast. Uh, so what happened was that uh, this reported, um, or an expose had came out about Max Linus and his tendency of abusing women. 
Um, eight women came forward. Uh, they they accused Max Linus of sexual and emotional abuse. Uh, published by the Daily Beast, the women, most of whom uh, had romantic relationships with Landis, described him as everything from a serial rapist, gaslighter, body shamer, to a physical and psychological abuser. Um, and it, Josh Trank, the director of Chronicle, came out, and this is what he had said. Um, they, Josh Trank and Max Landis kind of came up in Hollywood together, and he said, I want to believe every word of this article about Max. Um, this was said on his Twitter account. I banned him from visiting Principal Photography of Chronicle, and I haven't spoken to him since 2012. We're 2019. Uh, so yeah, this shit. I mean, Kelsey, you read that. You read that expose. That shit was hard to get through. Uh, yeah, it, it took me almost like what half an hour to read it. It was so long. Yeah, and graphic, um, like some really fucked up shit. It was bothered. Here's a few things. A few things that bother me about it. Mm-hmm. Who who was it? Was it Variety? Somebody had... Uh, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter. Oh, yes. It was not Variety. It was the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. They had um, expose material on him and that they just didn't post. And I don't know why they didn't, but... Somebody it, probably talked to the, uh, to the head editor or somebody in power would just, like, kill the story. Yeah. That's my guess. Um... So that bothers me because it could have ended sooner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been going on for at least uh, I don't know how long has exactly has been going on. I think one story come out came out in 2013 mm-hmm. um, about what was going on that within that story, that person told a story that happened even years before that. So this could have been going on since he was like a teenager or a young adult. Well, the thing that bothers me now, too, is that. Since it didn't post whenever it was supposed to post, why didn't it then just post when, you know, Harvey Weinstein came out, you know, yeah, that's and true. Kevin the whole Spacey Me Too and movement. all that. So, again, so that was like a year ago mm. or more. Yeah, when, this, when that started, yeah. When all that stuff happened, um, why didn't they post it then? Like, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about um his father john landis yeah i don't know anything about him john landis has a lot of power in hollywood because he's like part of like the old guard the old directors like um spielberg scorsese uh brian de palma stuff like that who make these big hits for these big production companies yet all this stuff is coming out and it's not some hidden secret because there have been i heard rumblings about this character this guy for actually since he actually kind of popped in popped onto the scene and you can tell, like, he was getting covered, like, his shit was getting covered up. Like, there was a PR move whenever, like, a news would come out to make sure that, like, to discredit the victims or uh, just, like, people getting, bl- not, not necessarily blacklisted, but outskirted to not say anything about Max Landis. Um, fortunately, his agent has dropped him or his managers dropped him completely. Like, I'm not going to manage you at all. Um, but there is a sense that this shit has been covered up for a while, which leads into our discussion, uh, has to be through like nepotism because this dude's like the son of John Landis. So he's forgiven easily or covered up or his crimes are covered up and how far it goes inside Hollywood. So what other examples are there to pull from? 
Uh, other stories of celebrities. Um, well, in the form of nepotism, we can go like maybe like Clint Eastwood's son, um, Scott Eastwood. I think he is mm-hmm. Scott Eastwood. Never heard of this cat yet. He's in like the Fast and Furious movie. Oh, he's yeah. like in uh, uh, what's that one? Pacific Rim Uprising. Mm-hmm. People. He's like he was in fucking what's it called? Suicide Squad. And I never seen this. Yeah, he played like a military personnel. But like, 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 it's another form of nepotism. Like these roles could have went to somebody else who were better off. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think what he doesn't have enough talent to hold it, or no. he hasn't earned the spot? He, one, he hasn't earned the spot, and two, every time, every what I've heard uh, Scott East, Eastwood being compared to is like a wet blanket. That's his level of acting. Oh. Which is like... So he's like Keanu Reeves. You know, at least Keanu Reeves has like <laughs> some some charm to like go off um, in his movies. And like you can, you can get it. Oh, okay. Okay. Like here's other examples of nepotism. Jaden Smith. Okay. Jaden Smith is Will Smith's son. Mm-hmm. Cool. Give his son, you know, up and up and everything. But Jaden Smith's name ain't really that good. Mm-hmm. And then there's Toy Spelling, who is... Um, who is the daughter of Aaron Spelling? Aaron Spelling created Charmed. Yeah, Charmed. But that's like, the only thing I know. <laughs> Charmed, Beverly Hills 90210, uh, Gilligan's Island, like these classic, classic, classic films and everything. And like that's you know, I. That's the only. <laughs> I'm surprised I put those two together because you said Aaron <laughs> Spelling. <laughs> I was like, I would see that name on. Every episode uh, of Charmed, and that's the only fucking show I watched out of the whole list that you said. <laughs> uh, oh, also, um, Gwyneth Paltrow. She is the she's the daughter of director and producer Bruce Paltrow. Uh, Drew Barrymore is another one. Uh, her father was like a famous like director, I think, producer. And she's not that great of an actress. Drew Barrymore. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. This she like has her moments, but you you have to put her in like really specific stuff. I think. Yeah, and then and don't put her in anything funny. She's not funny. Yeah, she's not funny at all. Oh, here's another one. Okay, Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler. Oh my god. <laughs> the daughter of uh, what's Errol Smith? Uh, er, what's Liv Tyler's grandma's name? The leasing of Errol Smith. Oh, uh, Steve Tyler. Yeah, Steve Tyler. His gra- <laughs> her grandma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's... it's that really- one bothers me. Mm. Is she married in real life? Liv Tyler? Yeah. I probably. I don't doubt it. Did she, I wonder if she married a scientist in real life. Because every fucking character she plays it's is like... Scientist. The sign, you know, uh, the wife of a scientist or some shit. Like, yeah. she's Bruce Banner's girlfriend. And then she was in Armageddon. And now she's in something new where this other person's an astronaut and she's the wife on the ground, like all. Yes. Like, I'm tired of that role. There's that. There are some cases where it does work out. Uh, Sofia Coppola, director. Uh, she is the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Sofia Coppola made some really great films like Lost in Translation, Somewhere, and Maria Antoinette. She's actually a co- like a comparable director. Um, but Charlie Sheen, son of Martin Sheen. Mm. Charlie Sheen's a fucking garbage human being. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Nepotism right there. Yeah. Um, there are some cases of it being good. Robert Downey Jr., his father was a uh, well-known uh, independent director. No, oh, he was the shitty one. Who, Robert Downey Jr.? No, his dad. Yeah, his dad was not that good. No, uh, not not good, like, not good, but, like, 
introduced him to drugs when he was a fucking oh, kid oh yeah shit. definitely so yeah he's just a bad fucking person yeah uh carrie fisher uh she's she's the daughter of eddie fisher and debbie reynolds carrie fisher princess leia you know Love mm. that girl. And then, what, isn't her daughter an actress as well? Her daughter it is becoming an actress. That's true. Her daughter got a spot in, um, is in, is in the latest Star Wars films. Huh. I don't know the character's name, but I feel like people are trying to shove that character down my throat. Or trying to be like, oh, there's an actress, Carrie Fisher's daughter. You know, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. Yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, to be truthful, Carrie Fisher wasn't a very good actress either. She was a great writer. Actors, not really. <laughs> And a real as fuck person. Oh, yes. The shit she would say. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, but it's, it's, it's Hollywood. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's like owning a business and then, oh, I have a brother or I have a cousin who can do this job as well. You know, because mm. I want to help. Them and out. then they run it into the ground because they're not as good. Yeah. Like Stephen Baldwin. The brother of Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Steve Baldwin's a shitty-ass actor, but because he's a Baldwin, he gets... Oh, and Danny Baldwin. They have a brother named Daniel Baldwin. And there's Billy Baldwin. Three Baldwin brothers. Fuck me. Well, four. <laughs> but, you know, only one of them is really success- successful. But, yeah, I mean... Oh, the Buseys. They're kind of funny. <laughs> Gary Busey's crazy. <laughs> That's funny how you say the Buseys, because I'm looking at this list, I'm like, Jake Busey, right there. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, nepotism's a bitch. Max, Max Landis is a fucking garbage human being. And uh, that's another day in Hollywood. Um, I think we should post the Daily Beast link. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Yeah, um, you guys have got to read this. It is a horrendous story. Um, the manipulation is on a, like, it is on a scale that you can not even fathom, even if you were writing a story. Yeah, he's like... Uh, I think multiple, multiple, uh, his past relationships have, have equated him to like a sociopath. If someone were to actually make a film about him, mm. I think they would tone it down. They probably would tone it down. They would have to tone it down for people to watch it. They would have to tone it. And then of course, John Linus would like do everything in his power to make sure that movie did not happen. Or he'd be like, no, I'll play the character. And then he'll fucking like what? Either make sure it tanks or <laughs> try to make it seem like not as believable or something yeah this movie's 100 false said by john Landis. landis <laughs> the end <laughs> so there's a chance there's a chance there is a chance okay so that's uh, it for our news section we're gonna jump into our try this not that uh section where you know we recommend shows or movies for you guys be checking out um I'm, I'm gonna go first with this one because i really want to talk about kelsey's selection um I watched Barry. Um, the season two has already been over for a while. Barely catching up. Barry is created by Alec Berg, Bill Hader. Uh, synopsis, a hitman from Midwest moves to Los Angeles, gets caught up in city's, city's theater art scene. This show is fucking awesome. Especially uh, season two, episode five. I could not believe the shit I was seeing. Like, I don't even want to, like, tell you exactly what happens, but... It goes from one moment of it goes every like five minutes everything gets more and more intense and it's so well it's so beautifully shot like the way how the camera movements are played out in certain scenes and then the metaphor for Barry and what he's doing is it helps you get further into his mindset as the as a hitman trying to become an actor now. Mm-hmm. 
it's a fucked up show, but like a dark, it's a dark comedy. But this episode was so goddamn good. Like I, ha- I haven't watched, I have not continued on since because I really want to watch that that episode again. Really? Yeah, it's great. That is goddamn, it's a great show. You keep talking about it too, and I really want to watch it. Yeah. Like I really want to get caught up with where you are so we can. Yeah. Try dis- watching it together. It. Yeah, it's it's uh, like this. Two seasons, I think each season's maybe like eight episodes, 30-minute watch, 30, 40-minute watch, but it's well worth oh, it. Oh, then I'm not going to get to catch up, because you're only three episodes away from the end, so... Yeah, but you can still watch it, mm-hmm. eventually catch up, if you kind of slow down with um, your obsession with your selection. <laughs> Look, it's only two se- two episodes into the first <laughs> season. <laughs> I don't need to slow down, it's already at a crawl. Um, okay. Look, HBO. First of all, Barry was on HBO. I don't know if you said oh, that. Oh, yes. Sorry. HBO uh, production Barry. Yes. They have another show called Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, created by Sam Levinson. Um, and uh, the synopsis that they have is a look at life for a group of high school students as they grapple with the issues of drug, sex, and violence. I promise you, this is not Degrassi. No, it's not Degrassi. It oh, is, no. <laughs> it is not Degrassi. Oh, no. Um, Jesus. It stars uh, Zendaya, uh, Maude Apatow, uh, Angus Cloud, Eric Dane, Jacob Elordi. You don't know who any of these people are. Barbie Ferrer, I wonder if she's related to uh, America Ferrer. Actually, I actually think she might resemble her a little bit. Actually, yeah, she kind of looks like Barbie. Uh, she kind of does look like American for. It doesn't really say in her IMDb page, but um, yeah, Zendaya or sorry, Zendaya. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she is. Uh, you know, our Mary Jane. She's the current Mary Jane in the Spider-Man films. Um, and Kelsey's right. This is not Degrassi. It kind of reminds me of Skins, the old British um, British show that came out maybe about. Like, three years ago or something like that end it but fuck so okay She'll so good. it's so good well okay sorry i tried Go. i was in a weird frame of mind so mm. i tried watching good omens i know that's gonna be a great show didn't catch my attention i tried watching another show that you recommended that was supposed to be funny didn't catch my attention and, fi- and then I tried watching Los Spookies, and I kind of got really irritated with it because I was like, I'm really not in the fucking mood for this bullshit. <laughs> so, um. So you did not find it spooky? Anyway, <laughs> um. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give Euphoria a try because it, I love Zendaya. I love her. Um. So I put it on, and it. It filled my dark soul to my heart's content. Did it? It did. did it. It's um. It really does follow more about drugs and uh, I guess mental health. You would say. Yeah, there are some. I mean, they don't blatantly say it, but there are cases of like the teenager with like bipolar disorder and manic depression and stuff like that and yeah like you could see it if, if you have any of these issues you're gonna instantly gravitate towards her you're gonna instantly understand her um and then you know a certain friendship that she makes that i really don't want to give away 
Um, I highly recommend watching the first episode mm. and then looking up her best friend. Yeah, her best friend. Um, they don't. Yeah, we can't. Like, we can't. We don't really want to talk so much about what happened in the first two episodes because every episode there's like not as a shocking turn at the end of the episode there's a shocking turn that you don't see coming but like the character development and the way how things play out it's like a series of like holy shit holy shit holy shit mm-hmm. and i have to really applaud this show because one of the characters is is of the uh LG, lgbtq community lgbtq yeah th- thank you of they're of that community and i was just like holy shit like that's like that character that type of uh person has been in other types of uh forms of entertainment but the fact that like how they're steering the story towards that person it's like holy shit like they're really going like they're getting ballsy with this shit what i actually one other thing i really like is zendaya is black but it's not focusing on her ethnicity yeah or that person's uh lgbtq they're not focusing on on her orientation or you know whatever's going on with her mm-hmm. it's just a story about teenagers about them trying to make friends when they're socially illiterate or they're not socially illiterate but everyone else fucking is or you know yeah how drugs play a role in that and it the cinematography really oh. helps tell the story. Who does the cinematography? I gotta look that up. I'm sorry. The, go the, on. the comedic timing. It is not a funny show, but it has moments of that's real as fuck. So that's hilarious. Yes. Um, that it like oh makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> and then um, what was I gonna say? Um, who's okay? So. The cinematographer is Marcel Rev. There's about four of them: Drew Daniels, Adam Newport, Barra, and Andre uh, Gimotov, I think. It looks like this Marcel Rev, R E V, but like a slash. Um, Jupiter's Moon, White God. Okay, yeah, this dude's got a really interesting, uh, interesting cinematography list. But yeah, the cinematographer, the cinematographer is fucking gorgeous. Um. I think what actually really ties it together is that it's it's narrated by Zendaya, mm-hmm. but not in a really intrusive way, and it really helps with like the twist at the end because you know like the first episode she she'll say and it it gets really weird at this one point and then you know at the end when it gets weird she'll say like this is where it gets weird and then there's the twist and you're like what the fuck yeah and then it gets weirder it just keeps getting weird and she even says that and it gets weirder yeah it gets weirder um couple scene there's that one scene i want to talk about in particular um it's not much of a spoiler but what happens that i mean the the show is about drugs Somebody takes a drug and it alters their perspective of reality. And the way how they shoot it, it's, 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 it, I, we, we stopped and rewound it. We're like, we got to watch that again. That was amazing. Are you talking about them in the tent? No, 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 no. The scene where that person's walking in the hallway and the room's rotating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the room rotates, but like the person's moving, but everybody else is stuck together. But it seems so yeah, seriously so like, flawed. It's like, very. The, the main focus of that scene is clearly disoriented because she's the one who's 
climbing on the walls, but it looks like she's the center of the shot. Yeah. And then everybody else is anchored by gravity and where they're supposed to be, and she's not, but they're rotating like they're on the ceiling and whatnot. Mm. You really have to see that one to really understand why they're, what story they're trying to tell with that and why, like, why did they do that? And, and then try to dissect how did they do that. Yeah, how did they do that? And then there's, there are a number of other, like, cool little scenes where, like, you'll catch and be like, oh, that was dope. I like how they did that shot. This is what, they, this is what that person views this person as. Or just, just the colors. Like, they really want you to feel something. So yeah. they, they either mute the music or they make it louder. But they put, like, different colors with it. And re- they really do a great job with that. I I can't wait for another <laughs> week. We just watched the second episode. And we're yeah. like, oh, we have to wait another week. I know. For, wait for a week for episode three. God damn it. <laughs> it's great shit. Great. I, I was so sad. I watched the first one. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to binge watch this. Like, I'm in the mood <laughs> to binge watch this show. And I'm like, wait, where's that second episode? And then uh, when, you when I saw... You forgot you're on HBO now. <laughs> no, I thought I had more. I thought I got uh, it. I always get into something late. Uh, and and for once, you're not. And for once, I'm not. Yay! And I saw it was called the pilot. It was pilot. Uh, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and you got to wait like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a there's no news of it being turned into a second season yet and not a lot of people are really giving it the the credit that it should. Um especially the way the story's being told. Like there's a couple thick pieces coming out saying that you know, this message this show doesn't speak for this type of people or mm. it's done incorrectly. And at the same time it's just like that's not the part of the show. You're completely missing it. It's like Oh, I will completely call out that that outlet it's vice <laughs> yeah vice um so one article is like oh you know why can't they just show black people as you know strong women like strong black women mm-hmm. okay well it's not about black people it's about teenagers yeah and at the same and, time and then also so would you rather them cast white people in all the roles and then you can complain that there's no black people or you know yeah. would you rather just show a black person in a real role without it being about them being black like because not everything is about black. race yeah and at the same time it's like they you know they want the character to be strong it was like well how do they get strong they had to they had to get to that point they didn't come out the womb fucking owning everything she is kind of strong in her own way too yeah but she's still like she's really fucked up though yeah but it, it's it's if anything a lot of it a lot of stuff i was watching i was just like fuck that reminds me of high school like a lot of the shit it's just like it's just this one is just the updated version. There's cell phones now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Kelsey, you would recommend that, correct? Watch it, please. Please yeah. watch it. I will talk to anybody about it. Yeah, please, you, would, like, you would not shut up about you. Like, you got to watch it. I'm like, I'm like I don't want to tell you about it because, you know, yeah. I just want you to watch it so I can talk to you about it. You're like, okay sure and i'm like no please like you gotta understand yeah we you made me you like you pretty much sat me down from the he was like we're watching it's like right now i've seen it but you gotta watch it yeah <laughs> and it, you liked that first episode but it didn't seem like it got you as much as it got me mm. but the second episode really got you well the, the first episode that that ending twist got to me that then twist got me because i was like oh shit i want to see where this goes but after watching the second episode i was just like god damn i i'm on i'm on board i'm sticking on fuck yeah 
It's great shit. It's great. Like I'm all smiles because I I love I love a good show to obsess over and a great I found one. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, fuck you, Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna be our our recommendation. Sorry, recommendation section for this episode. And we're gonna go ahead and jump into our recent review. It is the 2019 Toy Story 4. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. <gasps> He's a spook. Yes. Yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. All right. And that was the trailer for Toy Story 4, folks. Uh, Toy Story 4, directed by Josh Cooley. Uh, Josh Cooley is actually, he's mainly a voice voice actor, and this is actually his first feature. Uh, Written by Andrew Stanton and Stephanie Folsom. Uh, Toy Story 4, this time around, is uh, when a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang, a road trip alongside... A road trip alongside old and new friends reveals how big the world can be for a toy. I'm not even going to name... I'm not even going to go into who's starring. Because fucking everybody's in this movie. Like, they brought back the original cast. And they brought in some new, some new actors and actresses. Christina Hendricks, uh, Keiko Michael McKee, and Jordan Pill. Um, Keanu Reeves is in here. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, Yes. Uh, but yeah, this is the latest Toy Story 4, which I was surprised that they that they made this. Because part 3 ended so perfectly. But we got part 4. I actually don't think I watched the third one. I think I only watched the first and the second one. Okay, that third one. That that that's, that ending's heartbreaking. Is it? Oh yeah. Like, tear, teary-eye and, uh, with Toy Story 3. And mm. teary-eye with Toy Story 4. But... But it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet, but also, I feel like I have to tell the story of when we went to go see Toy Story 4 before we get into the review. Quick little side story. We got into a screening, and I do this thing where I record one second an episode. Uh, one second out of my life. Or out of my day. Sorry, one second out of my day. Uh, and one of them was going to see Toy Story 4. Normally, if I go see a movie... Um, I'll record one second of that movie. It doesn't spoil or anything like that. It's usually just the title card. Yeah, normally it's the title card. Normally it is the title card. If not, because sometimes you can't tell what's going to happen, I try to get like a, a good like a caption of the film, like a certain number of actors or something. Mm-hmm. And for this one, I try to do the same thing. Oh, sorry. And then when we go to, when we go to these screenings, normally they have the, the poster like on the screen. So I just take a picture of that, stick under that, boom, that's it, we're done. They didn't have it at this theater. I recorded one second. I actually recorded several seconds, but couldn't get a good one. And then <laughs> security caught me and was like, turn that off. Come with me. I was like, shit. <laughs> so pulled me on the side, called head security. Guy said, uh, one of my guys said they saw you recording Toy Story. They saw you recording the movie. And I told him, I gave him the story. I said, 
Um, my apologies. I record one second of my day. This is it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, this is the app and everything. He goes, okay, show me what you did, what you record. And it was honestly one second of like Woody be head coming up. And like, that was it. And it cut. And the guy goes, all right, I'm going to need you to delete that. Like, okay, no problem whatsoever. And he goes, I'm going to have to take your photo ID as well. So he took a, he took a picture of my photo ID. Which you he, had to help him with. with, with I, which I had to help him get <laughs> to focus the camera for it. And he said, um, okay, I'm going to let you back in. You have to delete the video. But if that video ends up online, we know where it came from. I will give you the ID to Disney and they'll handle it from there. Pretty much saying you'll be banned from anything from Disney for life. Because Disney don't fuck around. Mm-hmm. So I deleted it. said, I'm sorry. Deep apology. He says, okay, just go ahead and watch a movie. All right, cool. Thanks. Then you came back in and you're like, what I miss? <laughs> exactly. What I miss? I honestly don't fucking know because I was so distracted by are you coming back or not that I honestly couldn't focus on it. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was traumatizing for me, too. It was traumatizing. I'm so sorry. Okay. So we're going to go. Let's go ahead and talk about Toy Story and see what's up with this bad boy. Kelsey. What did you think of Toy Story 4? I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with the first movie, of course I was younger, but it still, it still felt like a kid's movie, one that adults couldn't really enjoy. Like, I'm sure the adults did enjoy it, but in um, just kind of the way that it was mildly entertaining and not, it was more meant for the younger crowd. Yeah. I honestly think this one was written for everybody and not just kids mm. because they i know i think they're really they really understood that they have um a lot of adult fans yeah people like these movies have been out for like 20 years so kids watching it now the kids watching it back then are adults now right yeah. so i think they wrote it that way um and they did a great job um i i don't I honestly think that they, the way they wrote the, uh, the way they did the, the shooting of it, a lot of it's a little more realistic than it used to be. Um, you can actually see like the stitching in um, Bo Peep's like seam in her pants. Um, and it looks like real fabric. So some of it you can tell is fake, obviously, but some of it looks real. Um, and, uh, <sighs> I have to wait for the spoiler portion to really, really dig into why I liked it because mm-hmm. a lot of it, what a lot of why I liked it will spoil. Yeah, it will spoil the shit out of the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Without going too far into you know giving up everything, um, the story was the story. I I was really surprised where they took it because, like I said, how Toy Story three ended was like so perfect, but they were able to still introduce new characters and bring in a new story for the for the toys that we've grown up watching um sometimes sorry a little bit into the story it kind of gets a little worn off or kind of problematic because one of the characters has to get to this point and it seems like it could have been better done um this character has to get to this one location and they're like okay he gets this location well Let's work backwards and find out why he got into his location instead of like really making it having to make sense. Um, the acting, of course, is for like phenomenal from like Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, everybody else. Um, the newer the newer cast who were brought in, like for example, uh, 
<clears throat> like I said, Keegan Mike King and Jordan Pill was fucking hilarious. No, um, actually, that's that. That actually reminds me. Usually, when you bring in a new, new like, new cast members into an older franchise, mm-hmm. there's like this weird disconnect. Yeah, it's like you can tell there's different acting styles, or the chemistry is not there, or whatever it might be. Um, and that didn't happen here. Like it, everything was flawless. Yeah, even like someone like the personality, like Keanu Reeves' personality, was into the, his character, but it seemed perfect for to bounce off of Woody or to bounce off the world because even like the character's design, the character's background seemed to kind of match what Keanu Reeves might really act like. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was there was really no hiccup in the acting. Like it was like two, it was like diff- different generations of comedy, but like they meshed perfectly well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just also, too, because it's toys. Yes, because it's toys. Love those toys. So we're going to go a little bit further into our discussion of Toy Story 4. Uh, but to make sure that you guys are not spoiled, uh, we went ahead and got you a spoiler bumper, which you will hear right about now. <laughs> Oh, you guys still here? All right. All right, cool. Go to the spoilers. <laughs> so, Forky. <laughs> Fucking cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> he really set the tone for the movie. Um, you, Like, you have this little girl who doesn't want to go to kindergarten. She's all sad, mm. whatever. And... Woody really wants to make sure that she's she has a good time at school. There's like another toy that is the leader where Woody used to be the leader, but whatever house he's in now, he's more of like, you know, he he doesn't lead. And he also doesn't yeah. get played with a lot anymore. Yeah, cuz he goes to he goes to Bonnie, who's a girl, and Woody's a, essentially a boy's toy. Yeah. And uh, Bonnie is more keen to like her toy unicorn or even like Mr. Mrs. And Potato and Jesse. Yeah, exactly. So Tony, oh, Tony, fuck's Tony. <laughs> Woody just kind of gets kind of pushed to the wayside because he has really no purpose because his purpose for three movies was to take care of Andy. Mm-hmm. Now there's no Andy. So what is Woody's purpose now? And they, and they, so they <clears throat> give him a purpose because he, against the leader, the toy leader's wishes, which I don't remember her name. He goes, he like basically stows away in her backpack and goes with her to kindergarten and watches her create a new toy out of what's essentially trash. Yeah, it's like out of a, a, spork. a spork and a pipe cleaner, maybe some modeling clay. Yeah, some modeling clay. Oh, popsicle uh, sticks. Popsicle sticks and like those like googly eyes that just kind of like goes all over the place. Yeah. And then, but th- that, 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 oh, that weirded me out because she said she created life. So exactly, the humans are gods. <laughs> Holy shit! And all you have to do is write your name on someone's foot, and they're yours. Yeah. So if um, if there is a name on the bottom of your foot, then you've just proven God exists. If not, sorry. 
Um, sport, uh, Forky. <clears throat> yes. So we're going back to Forky. Yeah, played by uh, Tony Hale. Hale. Sorry. For like the first, I don't know, five minutes, all you can do is watch this fork. Mm-hmm. Try to get away because he wants to sleep in the trash and be in the trash and he thinks he's trash and he wants to be trash and he hate then like Woody's like constantly pulling him out of the trash mm-hmm. and carrying him everywhere and holding him and like um when they finally get on their road trip uh with the family he finally convinces him uh Woody finally convinces Forky, Forky yeah his purpose like you know she loves you like you love trash yeah and it's 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 pretty cool because like this is like essentially a kid's toy that she created in the first no kindergarten right it was the first mm-hmm. grade it was and, orientation <clears throat> it was like a week before school starts. yeah so for in order for her because i mean i remember going my first day of school and being terrified because i was like i don't know who these people are i don't know these kids whole new world and all that stuff i don't remember my first day of school <laughs> but i was so happy at snack time because i always had zebra cakes that was my life you should have like wrote your name at the bottom of his. I didn't cake. even care about the other kids. I was <laughs> happy to be by myself. Yeah. So uh, Bonnie <laughs> creates Bonnie creates this, this Forky. So that's that's a way for her to like cope and like become and to make friends in school. It's like her. She created her own friend. She created her own friend, and Woody spends a majority of the movie kind of really convincing Forky, like of that. But at the same time, um. Uh, Woody finds Bo Peep, who has been in Toy Story 3. I think she was... I don't even think she was in Part 2. But people have been wondering what happened to Bo Peep. They reveal what happened to Bo Peep. She ended up in an antique shop. and But her personality has changed. She's like a, a free woman. She just goes and does whatever she wants, which is pretty badass. She's not beholden to a kid anymore. Exactly. Beholden to a kid. Beholden to even like her statue that she was a part of. Um and she, the movie turns itself around because you think it's going to be about Forky, accepting his role as a toy, but it actually the movie turns around and talks and puts and puts the focus on Woody, and tries to have Woody understand what's his purpose as a toy now. Exactly. So, um, Bo Peep actually says one of the things that she loved the most about Woody was his loyalty to his kid. Yeah, that was that was that's good. And. In the first portion of the movie, um, Bo Peep gets given away or sold or whatever to somebody, mm. and she asks him to come with her, and he won't do it because he doesn't want to leave Andy. Yeah. And so she leaves, and you know you you don't find out right away what happens to her, um, and then eventually he is in another house. Yeah, Bonnie's house. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the the it starts off with him being really loyal and then it it messes around with how loyal is too loyal mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with being a free a free a free in, person yeah, or whatever individual yeah um, one thing I really did like out of like out of the new additions is uh, the Gabby Gabby who's played by Christina Hendricks. Mm-hmm. They really played up that like the idea that Gabby Gabby was like gonna be the the antagonist of the movie, mm-hmm. but they they gave her some depth depth 
Sorry, that's a hard word. Death. <laughs> death. Thank you. They yeah, they her, gave her death. Yeah, <laughs> they gave her death. Um, and her purpose is to essentially, it's like what Woody was. Woody, like Woody always had an owner. Or Woody had a kid. Gabby Gabby never had a kid. So Gabby Gabby wants to find this kid. And she thinks that's her purpose. And, or, or one kid specifically, her purpose and that changes around as well. And she, her purpose, she she discovers that her purpose is just to make somebody happy, which was, uh, which was really good. I didn't think they were going to go that route with her. Yeah, um, we have to talk about her, uh, her lackeys. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> her lackeys are like some fucking hand puppets. No, Those- they're ventriloquist puppy- puppets. Sorry. N- nightmare fuel. That's what they are to me. <laughs> fucking nightmare fuel. Those old school 1950s. Their expressions never change. <laughs> Which makes them all the more terrifying. They just turn their heads slowly at you. But then there's one time where one of them is running away and he just kind of looks at you. Mm-hmm. And then his body kind of twists backward as he's running away. So, like, his was, legs are running, but his back has been backwards. Like, yeah. And isn't he, like, still looking at the camera, looking yeah, at that person? Was, yeah, it, so But that was really funny. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I didn't like Gabby Gabby that much. I I, thought, I liked that. I thought she was just really, she was like a, a cult leader. Yeah, yeah, that they they really gave. I mean, that's what they were pretty much saying that she was a cult leader. You know, she was the villain. Um, but then, like she she that that villainess kind of just like rinsed off of her when um, the girl that she the kid that she wanted to be with was like, no, nah, I don't. I, don't like I still story. don't want you now that your voice is fixed. Yeah, exactly. Even like that improvement, and um, and then what happens to her character is like she finds a kid that actually does need her. And she helps the kid. And that part, I started crying. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my God, she's finding purpose. <laughs> it's so good. That's <laughs> so good. Anyway. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. By, played by Keanu Reeves. Oh, goddamn well. <laughs> uh, they, he has a tragic story, too, because... He um, he essentially doesn't have a, a kid either. Yeah, some spoiled brat was like, you don't jump as high, and like threw him to the side. And was yeah, like, like the, the commercial kind of yeah. oversold his abilities, and he couldn't jump as high or as far as the commercial said he could. So the kid's like, this is fucking whack. Like, <laughs> I don't like you. And he got him on Christmas and immediately hated him. Yeah, that part was really messed up. Um one thing I have to mention about Duke Boom is he poses a lot in the movie. He does like all these like. He makes me think of Johnny Bravo. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Check this out. Okay, apparently Keanu Reeves had a meeting with Pixar and actually suggested to them that Duke Boom continuously does poses throughout the movie, and Pixar was like, "Great, we love it." And that's why he, that's why he's doing those like those ridiculous like. Yeah, it is like Johnny Bravo. Even like the even it doesn't even go like hoo ha at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really weird. But yeah, damn, he was fucking funny in that movie. He was, um, and of course he finds his purpose because he thought his purpose was just to jump as far as he could mm-hmm. to try to like prove to himself that he was worthy after all. Yeah, he he was worried of what's his name Lejeune. Was that the kid's name? It's like John Renee or some shit. Oh yeah, John Renee. Renee. There you go. 
Because he was Canadian. He was, so his name was John Rene. Um, and uh, so, and then he does eventually jump, and he does prove his worth to himself, and then he's like, well, now what? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He has no more purpose. Um, so. Let's talk about uh, Key and Peele here. Uh, I love Key and Peele. I love that show. I love Jordan Peele. That dude is a phenomenal fucking writer. Um, Keegan Michael Key is actually a really good actor too. But holy shit, seeing them come back together in this movie was one of the funniest things this whole movie had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was one. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. There's one thing called the plush rush scene. <laughs> and like they, so they're plot <laughs> let me set it up for I you <laughs> they have to get a they have to um get a key because um gabby gabby is it's like locked up in, locked like a in cabinet. the cabinet it's basically where she resides yeah like, they have to get forky out of there yeah forky's in there so they have to get the key so they could open the cabinet so duke boom could jump in there so they're like, okay, every, you know, everyone think of an idea on how you're going to get this key. So, Bunny and... Ducky. Ducky. Yeah, Bunny and Ducky, yeah. Which, they're stitched together, by the way, by their hands. Yes. Um, they decide, it, they come up with something called the plush rush. And now, now you can tell them. <laughs> there's, like, there's like three different versions of it. <laughs> And each version just gets more and more intense. And it's essentially this. It's essentially just. Okay. Whoo. I'm trying not to laugh so hard. It's essentially uh, Dougie and Bunny just jumping the store owner to get the key. She's, she's a very small, frail old woman. Yeah. So they'll be like, okay, we can do this. And then like the ladies walk in and then, ah! And they like, they scare the shit out of her. And the next, the next one, like they attack her. And the third, the third one is so fucking stupid. The third, so the third one is, first you see like this old woman laying in bed and you're like looking across no, her no, bed no, from no, the side. No, no, you gotta, you gotta, no, that's not, that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. I gotta cut you off. I have to cut you off. That's not how it goes. The old lady, she uh, closes up the register. She closes the door. She drives home. She <laughs> she's always looking at, over her shoulder. She gets inside. She has dinner. <laughs> she lays in bed. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, you see Ducky and Bunny's head pop up on the side of the bed, like like straight up, like some like straight up psychos. They're like <laughs> and like it's like creepy moon set. And then I I don't remember if Woody or if it's Woody or Buzz, but they're like. What is wrong with you? They're like, no more ideas from you. <laughs> and then they stop anyways because all of a sudden they're like sitting there thinking, still trying to think of it or whatever. They're, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not moving. All of a sudden, the keys drop into the dish. Yeah, like, I think like, they didn't even have to get it from her. <laughs> yeah, I think like Bo Peep and like Woody are like they come, they come around with the key and they're like, how'd you get the key? And they're like, oh, it was very difficult. Cut to the key gets placed right in front of them. The end. That's it. <laughs> And I laughed so fucking hard while watching that. Like, my sides were hurting. It was so goddamn fun. I mean, you guys heard me right now. I could barely get out of my system. It was so damn hard. I, I was actually tearing up because it's so funny. 
Yeah. But um, yeah. Then uh, Forky gets rescued, and like you know, then like there's there's this whole thing of like if Woody should actually go back and stay with Bonnie because Woody was looking at Bonnie as like another Andy, mm-hmm. but Bonnie didn't need Woody. She needed Forky. Mm-hmm. So Woody makes his decision. I mean, you guys are in the spoiler section, so we're just going to tell you the ending. Woody makes a decision to actually stay with Bo Peep and a couple of his new friends. And Bonnie and the rest of the toys, they go off. And, yep. like, it's like, a, it's like a heart. Oh, one part that almost killed for me was, like, Woody had a, his badge, that his sheriff badge. And he was with his old friends. And he takes off the badge and then puts it on Jesse. And it's like, you're the new sheriff. Yeah. And, like, that's it. And I was just like... Whoa! Starting to cry again. <laughs> it was good shit. Yeah, um, I felt like that was really bittersweet because you kind of knew that his time was up with Bonnie, and him and Bo Peep were such good friends. Yeah, it, se- um, it seemed like that was like the one that got away for him. Yeah, so he had a second chance, and he just wanted to take it this time. Yeah, and now he's like essentially like a free toy. The world is his oyster now. Yeah. Slurp slurp. Slurp slurp. Uh yeah, but man, that was that was Toy Story 4. That was good shit. Like mm. I really don't I mean that that come on, that has to be the end of the whole thing. I mean they probably can continue it, but that's gotta be the end of it. That was yeah. so fucking good. And I think Buzz Buzz ended up staying, so Yeah, no, Buzz ended up he's going with Bonnie. That's what I meant. He went with oh, Bonnie. Yeah. He stayed with Bonnie and yeah. didn't leave. Yeah, Buzz is like, she'll be fine. Oh, speaking of Buzz. Mm. All right. One thing that actually bothered me was it seemed like Buzz Lightyear was getting smarter with every story that went by. Yeah, in two and three, he like had his own personality. He was actually thinking for himself. And then he was like, no personality in this one. He couldn't even think for himself. Yeah. And then he was like, really wowed by the fact that, oh my God, Woody, how do you know what to do all the time? Yeah. And Woody's like, I have an, like an inner voice that tells me what to do. And he thought it was his voice box he was talking about. Mm-hmm. So he would just push the button on his chest that would tell him something to do. And, uh, you know, Buzz Lightyear would. Yeah. Because he it. thought that was supposed to be his conscience, which is funny because it would tell him kind of what to do. Yeah. Which would, and then it started being like random sayings that no toy would have, would ever fucking have. Like, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. His, like his character reverted back to like, Buzz Buzz Lightyear Toy Story One, which was really weird. Yeah. yeah. Um and then there was a scene where he really didn't like he really, really needed to know what to do next because he didn't have Woody. And mm-hmm. he kept pushing the button and kept pushing the button. It was just telling him like the same thing in different ways. Yeah. Nothing he could apply to like his current situation. Yeah. So that was that I I would have to agree with you on that. That's pretty much like the only thing I really had. Well, that and like the way how the story is taken, um, like, you know, is Bonnie is Bonnie and her toys there, and we ha- it's like the writers had to make a reason for Woody and the gang to end up at this particular antique shop that Bonnie's at, which seemed very unnatural. Like that's like one in a million chance that they would see each other ever again, especially after like I don't know, maybe like close to twenty years of seeing each other. Yeah. You know, because Andy's grown up and everything. He's a, he's like a full grown adult, and it would just seem like that. Like seemed like a highly un, un, un highly unlikely unlike ugh, highly unlikely scenario. Yeah, I was trying to say. 
So yeah, yeah, and then the whole buzz thing. That's those are like the two biggest problems I have with that whole movie. Hmm. That was it for me too. Really. <laughs> I don't even have anything. I can't expound on that one. Yeah. Okay, so that's gonna be our review of Toy Story Four. Four. And we're gonna go ahead and jump into our fan favorite select our fan favorite segment. Um, nobody does this ever. <gasps> I can't wait. <laughs> what we do is called Deathbed Do Over. Uh, our job, you know, as you know, people who are just knee deep in script writing capabilities and in Hollywood industry, um, we take a movie that uh had a good had a, either a really great concept or had a really great first two acts and then by the end of the film or by the third act it, the movie just like shits the bed mm. just like what the fuck was any of that what i just saw and this episode we're gonna cover lucy the 2014 film directed and written by luke besson uh stars scarlett johansson morgan freeman min sick Choi. Uh, for those who are uh, Park Chan Wook fans, he's old boy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought I recognized him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lucy's about this girl, Sergeant Carl Johansson, who comes up on this drug, gets like super duper smart, starts unlocking like certain percentages of her brain. And she ends up like getting like telekinetic powers and then like able to control minds and even eventually. <laughs> Ends up time traveling. She actually becomes matter, like in its simplest form. Yeah, she becomes, in her words, everything. She's mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, yeah, so we like the. I like concepts like these, high concepts like these. Uh, it seemed really like it was going to do well. And then, like I said, that third act was just like, okay, now it's just like a gun toting crazy action film. And I, it felt like. They were just they they rolled themselves in the corner. How, yeah. can, how can we how can we end up how can we end a movie with an ex machina, which is like a god? Mm. So we're gonna try to fix it. <laughs> I'm gonna go first. All right. So here's the scene. We get to the near the end of the movie. Lucy knows all the knowledge of all of history. Passes down the Morgan Freeman, becomes matter, and then becomes everywhere. Then camera just slowly pans away, pans away. Pans away, exits an eyeball, a vision, come to find out one of the bags inside of her stomach and, and Scar Scarjohanson's Scar stomach filled with drugs burst. And what we're seeing is, is her overdosing before she dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end. All right. This is really just a modern remake of 2001 A Space Odyssey. and they attempted to fix that god-awful ending but they failed lucy floats off into the ether and eventually is that big baby looking over each and every one of us (laughs) yes (laughs) oh man i can't wait till we talk about 2001 space odyssey that was actually good all right so here's mine all right so Lucy, Lucy figures, her, figures out God mode and decides to be a hit woman like she's always wanted to be. She remembers the lessons that her soulmate, Leon the Professional. Essentially, we've been watching her first steps of Matilda <laughs> as a grown woman. Now she becomes an assassin, great assassin in the world. The end. 
This is really just a story of someone who only uses 10% of their brain. This is her interpretation (laughs) of the events that transpired as she experienced it with a severely limited mental capacity. (laughs) And going through therapy to try to gain access to the other parts of her brain. (laughs) Oh, God, so fucking stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry, I'm rereading that again. It's so fucking stupid. We don't, we, we write these separate on our own and then we come back and then hopefully like one of us will like crack up like how, how I've been doing. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Holy shit. Okay. All right. This is going to be kind of like a deep like 90s cut. Kelsey won't get it, but I hope you listeners will fully get it. Okay. So what happens in the film is uh, she, she... <laughs> What happens at the end of the film is she fulfilled her mission of passing knowledge into the next generation. Quantum leaps into another body, the body of Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow, and she and her new mission is to make sure the Avengers get the soul stole by any means necessary. She says the lines, "Oh boy, credits." Ta-da. I was with you until you said, "Oh boy." Well. There's a show called Quantum Leap, Scott Bakula. Great. I know great. that show exists. I just don't know anything about it. Yeah. Whenever he leapt into a new body, he would he would, he would figure out his situation and then go, oh boy, and then credits, <laughs> and that'd be the end of it. So we just watched Quantum Leap. Okay. Um, when she was sitting in that office chair going back in time, it was just her board at work. <laughs> we all go through that kind of daydreaming. I like to imagine I'm a famous explorer. But not the racist kind. <laughs> wow. It's <laughs> so dumb. Okay, so this, this, is my, this is my last one. Okay, so Lisa's sitting on the chair. She's becoming knowledge. She's becoming knowledge. Mixo Choi is behind her with a gun, and right, right when she hits 100%, and before Choi pulls the trigger, everybody stops. Lucy stands up and breaks the fourth wall. She talks. She talks about the effects of drugs, the effects of drug use on your brain. She takes a digital egg, cracks it on a digital plan, cooks the, <laughs> cooks the contents on a digital stove. Then she looks dead in the camera and says, this is your brain on drugs. So this has been an entire elaborate dare commercial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucy is Black Widow's origin story. <laughs> no one really knows what happened to her between when she seemingly disappeared and was all of a sudden working with the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> she like toned down her power. She's yeah. like, I don't want to embarrass you guys. Yeah. Let me just dye my hair red. <laughs> all right, I have one more. All right. It was an elaborate magic trick. She was just looking for attention like how Chris oh, Angel does. Shut the fuck up. The <laughs> ultimate mind freak. Disappear and send mass texts to people that you are not gone and still watching them. No one will take a shit or masturbate for weeks for fear of being judged by her. Because <laughs> she watches everybody. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Hold on. Hold on. I I just... Oh, my God. That one you did, it was so fucking funny. The 10% of the brain. Oh, my God. I'm, re- I'm re-looking at this, folks. This is fucking hilarious. But... It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna be this week's um, deathbed do-over. Hey. Yeah. With that, we are gonna jump into our geriatric cinematic. Um, it actually took us a hot minute to figure out what movie we were gonna do, 
And uh, I sat down with Kelsey. We went back and forward. And we <laughs> we decided to pick a film that follows the same premise as Toy Story. Inanimate objects coming to life, being in love with their master, trying to reunite. That, folks, is the 1987 Brave, the, the Brave Little Toaster. Your hats, you devil dogs, because the master blaster of all time is going to give you a soul injection. They're the five spunkiest little characters you've ever met. It's a possibility. For years, they've been waiting. Can you see? Is it him? And waiting. Us. That's right. For their master to come home. Master! Blanky! We've been dumped, abandoned. We're not gonna give up hope. But now their waiting is over. We're going out to find him! What? what? We're gonna go out and find them. And that was the trailer for the Brave Little Toaster. Uh, Brave Little Toaster, directed by Jerry Reese. Uh, Rest. Was it Reese? Reese. Reese. A story by Jerry Reese, uh, Joe Raniff. Ranf. Ranf, thank you. Brian McInty. McInty. McInty, that too. And Jim Ryan. Uh, this is actually based off, on, off of a novella called The Brave Little Toaster, A Bedtime for Small Appliances by Thomas M. Dish. Dish? A Bedtime Story for Small Appliances. Yeah. Uh, so the synopsis, a group of dated appliances appliances embarks on a journey to the city to find his master after being abandoned in his cabin in his cabin in the woods um starring john lovers as radio timothy stack as lampy timothy e day as blanky or young rob the master holy shit his name was Ro- oh yeah his name was rob completely forgot that uh toro Re- ravenscroft as kirby uh deanna oliver as toaster phil hartman great Great comedian Phil Hartman as the air conditioner and the hanging lap. And he was scary. He wasn't yes. funny. <laughs> so, yes. Um, so, yeah, this is the Real Appeal Podcast. And we're going to go ahead and just go into this fucking movie. <sighs> Holy shit. Holy shit. We're going to do a little bit of history. I watched this movie several times as a kid. As a matter of fact, it's, it's still one of my favorite uh, cartoon or animated cartoon films. Uh, Kelsey, you you saw what when you were a child, but you barely remember anything about it. I only watched it like one time, mm. and I don't remember how old I was. I think I was like, I want to say I was like seven, seven years old or something like that. Yeah, I didn't like the film very much. I thought the air conditioner was kind of scary. I thought the vacuum was kind of too grumpy, and like. It was anxiety ridden, riddled. Sorry, it was anxiety riddled. Um, they are looking for somebody that they love, and they were left behind. They were abandoned. So I definitely uh, remember it as something that it wasn't enjoyable for me. When you were um, rewatching it again, or watching it when again? I was a kid. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember being. I. I I remember enjoying it growing up, but I also like have a lot of memories of like a f- quite a few terrifying scenes. Yeah. Like there's a fucking nightmare scene where a giant firehouse clown that would make it shit his pants. I don't know. For I don't know if I'm getting it confused with another movie, mm. but 
is this the only movie that was out when we were younger where they had that big magnetic thing picking up the cars? I think it was. I, I, this whenever I think whenever I think of magnetic the magnetic thing that picks up cars and junk carts, I think of this movie. I get I honestly I don't know. Maybe this is one of the reasons why I get scared. Like of <laughs> shit. of no like of giant of, magnets. No, of like mechanical things like. Damn, it traumatized you that much? Well, my mom said when I was a baby, and I was born in 87. Uh-huh. My mom told me when I was a baby that even when it was really fucking hot and she would have the fan <gasps> on, she would have to turn the fan off mm. because I would be um, just awake staring at it. I would not sleep. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> Shit. As a baby. And then, um, like, when her husband at the time would be working on a car, like, uh-huh. he had a Camaro, and it was very loud. And they were trying to find out why it was so loud, but um, I would I went and hi- hid behind a tree, and I wouldn't like come near the car. I was terrified of the car. Oh my god! Um, I remember when I was like ten years old, going to like a battleship in like Connecticut and mm. like Fall River. Yeah. And it was a really nice one, but anytime we would get near like the turrets and stuff, and you could go inside and see all the mechanics of it and everything. Yeah. Um, I'd be ter- I wouldn't go in. So it was just the loud noise then that was terrifying. No, that was off. Like, oh, shit. Because they, they disable those. Oh, okay. So, like, even my dad worked at a blade factory. And, mm. like, they when I was 10, they had, like, um, family day. Mm-hmm. And my dad worked all the machines where they, like, straighten out the, um, the blades and everything. Like, they put them through this machine. Yeah. And um, I'm t- totally, like... Was terrified to go near those machines. Yeah, and like so, and so I, I when I think about, I always would have a picture of this big magnetic thing picking oh up these cars, God. and it was like very like the end of the world apocalyptic <sighs> feeling to me. Yeah, that and that that third act kind of goes that way. We're we're kind of jumping all over the place, so I'm gonna go ahead and take us back to the beginning <clears throat> of the film, where. You know, you see the the you see the appliances on their everyday lives. They're essentially cleaning this house. Uh, I didn't know it was a cabin until rewatching the movie. <laughs> it was a cabin on a on a, a lonely cabin on a hill, which is totally weird. What cracks me up is the only thing that should be cleaning is that vacuum. Yeah, and the vacuum. The blanket is just making itself dirty, dusting. <laughs> Why? It's a blanket, a uh, heating blanket, no less. Then you've got the radio, which apparently its only job is to be annoying. Ah. Uh, the lamp just lights the way. It shouldn't be cleaning. And then um, the toaster should just be making toast. So why are they all cleaning? Because they love the master and they want to, you know, they want to make sure the house is all cleaned up and spiffy when the uh, the master shows up. Well, they did a bad job. And also, mm-hmm. um, I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so yeah, the the <clears throat> the um, the appliances they are cleaning this house, and they need a bit of a little a little bit of like uh, not inspiration, but a reason to clean the house. And the radio sings "Tutti Fruity" by um, Little Richard. And while watching this, I was cracking up because the uh, meaning of "Tutti Fruity." It's gay sex. 
the song talked about gay sex so explicitly as to be almost pornographic. Fruity was not a random rhyme, but a reappropriation of common slang fruity that meant gay act, essentially gay acting. The original lyrics, according to Little Richard, went as follow a womp bob a boot up a womp. Good goddamn. Tutti Fruity goes, Tutti Fruity, good booty. If you don't fit, don't force it. You can <laughs> grease it. <laughs> you can grease it and make it easy. <laughs> Tootie Fruity, a gay song, is just jumps into this kid's cartoon. Of course, at the time, nobody knew it, but Little Richard has come out and said that's maybe about like four or five years ago. He came out and was just like, "Yeah, that song's about gay sex." <laughs> nobody knew it. He's like, "Yeah, sure," <laughs> um, but actually, I'm going to correct you. This uh, was not actually a kid a kids movie. Yes. Oh, yes. Please. Um, it was. It's <clears throat> an adult movie, um, which kind of turned into a kids movie, so it didn't really hit its mark. But, you know, rewatching it as adults, you can kind of see where the adult humor is. Mm-hmm. So the song um, probably isn't as misplaced as you think. I don't, that's the thing. I don't think that. I, I really don't. I don't know. They might have known. That would have been funny, though. That if, would have, yeah. If they didn't know. Yeah. Um, the director I said during the interview that even though the movie's rated, rated G, it, their intention was not to, for this to be a kid's movie. Like, at all. <laughs> but, I mean, we got a kid's movie. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the point is they have to go get the, they have to, they've been there for the, for this long. They find out that the cabin's going to be for sale. So they're like, well, fuck it. We got to go find the master in the city. So they go to like, they do a trial error of trying to like find a way to get mobile, which is kind of funny and kind of cute. And kinda stupid <laughs> and stupid. And they, um, they get up, they find a way and they, it, they travel. They go through this uh, journey together through the woods and through the city to find the master. The first song that they sang, and they kind of do like a different version of the song later on, I didn't like it. I was, it was just like... It was really watered down. There wasn't a lot of... Um, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of creativity there. Yeah. It was just like, wow, this song really sucks. I, could, I couldn't believe how bad it was. Um, so then what happens like they... Oh, and that's another thing that kind of weirds me out. They have this weird obsession with their master. Like, especially how Blinky says master. You ever, did you notice that? It's really him? culty. Yeah. And like the, the Blinky would be like, the master. Oh, the master. <laughs> it was like freaky. Well, what makes it weird for me is that he like, no one could hear a car. No one could see a car. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, do you hear that? It's a car. And he goes up into the attic, and it's just a car going by. Yeah, and then he, like, he loses all hope and all that shit. And then they're like, okay, we got to go find the master this time. Yeah. Um, yes? Speaking of finding ways to be mobile, mm-hmm. none of them are plugged in. Yeah, like they're plugged into like a car battery. No, no, no. In the house. Oh, yeah. They're uh, not plugged <clears throat> in. At all. Mm-hmm. And then they're going through their trial and error of finding ways that they could be mobile outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And they then all of a sudden they realize, you know, like they can't walk, they can't be mobile. So they decide that maybe Kirby, you should pull them around on this office chair. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Kirby's like, I don't have any power at all. I need electricity. Okay. I would have to kind of go against you on that one. I don't think like they needed 
the battery to be mobile. I think they need the, the battery for their functions to work. Like the regular toaster couldn't, the toaster couldn't toast without a, um, a pl- being plugged in. Um, that which brings the question about radio. Even though he said he had a backup battery, radio was working without being plugged in. And Kirby, Kirby moved forward without being plugged in. But at times, I don't. I kept saying, I kept thinking that well, maybe when he's plugged in, he has like power to actually like pull people and shit like that. He can only carry well, that himself unplugged. That makes sense because there's that scene. <clears throat> Where his bag fills up full of like grass, mm. and then he goes behind a tree like he's gonna pee or something. Yeah, or take a or shit. relieve himself. So yeah. then you could see him zipping up his bag when he comes out. <clears throat> I never, I yeah. didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, and then there's a chance for me. There's, there's a chance for uh, what happened in the movie to go against my argument because at one point Lat turns on, but he's mm. not plugged. In. He's obviously not plugged in. Yeah, which is really weird. Um, so they go through. They do their little sing-along and everything like that. Come to find out, like, Master is going to actually go to the cabin and pick up his old appliances and shit. But they found him in the city. Yeah, okay, so they go through the woods. Um, They go through the woods, and then a little bit more of the characters are developed. Um, Like, the fact that Radio is essentially, like, the world's biggest fucking liar. Oh, yeah. All the time. Uh, Toaster has... um, He's, like, he has vertigo issues, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to love. He's kind of um he's a bit of a bully actually. He comes off as like a nice guy, but he really doesn't like Blanky. Yeah, he like bullies Blanky around for like a hot minute. Um and then of course Blanky is like this child who's like really obsessed with this master, like almost like his mother and shit. Mm-hmm. And Vacuum has OCD. And he's just like complaining about fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Like, God, Kirby, shut the fuck up, dude. Um, and Lampy is just a fucking idiot. Lampy? Oh, yeah, Lampy's just an idiot. Yeah, they don't fuck, They don't mess around with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's an idiot. Um, so they go through the... Uh, they end up, like, going through... Um, they end up coming across a waterfall. They have to, they have to essentially jump over this cliff uh, from one side to the other. And they end up falling into the waterfall. Vacuum, like, jumps down to join him because he's like, I don't want to be left alone. And they end up in a swamp. <laughs> they end up in a swamp, and they're almost like, they almost get lost in the swamp, and this guy pulls them out. My question is, why the fuck was that dude in the swamp this whole time? <laughs> it was weird. It was just forced. I think it was like, oh, that's convenient. Let's I think he was that. a serial killer. Well, I mean, <clears throat> he was after you find out where he goes, because then he takes them back to his shop where he rips perfectly good things apart for mm. their parts yeah and he sells them so and he would lie to customers when they would come in they'd be like oh do you have a blender motor and he's like oh yeah i just got a shipment but he didn't have any but he had just been blending something uh so he ripped apart his blender and gave the guy his blender motor yeah after right before um i'm sorry after he stuffed like a hand full of pink marshmallows in his face yeah it's really weird (laughs) yeah so that scene it turns it okay I think this is like maybe the 40 or 50 minute mark of the movie. And it starts to turn into a horror story. Mm-hmm. Like these like cr- these like appliances that are like Frankenstein up and everything. And they they do this song where like one part of the lyrics is like, we're in the movies, we're in the movie show. But it seems like a horror story or something. Oh, yeah. Like they said um, this is a movie show, a B movie show. Yeah. Like a B movie, a B movie horror film. 
And then, like, the character who plays um, the Phil Hartman, who he did the voice of Hanging Lamp, it's like, hey, you're going to join us forever now. <laughs> He's, like, based that off of, like, of an actor back in the, like, the early days of cinema. But, holy fuck, it was terrifying, like, watching. It wasn't, like, uh, the blender being torn apart, mm. cut up and everything. That was bad. It was really bad. Um, I was kind of bored of it, though, pretty quickly, because it was not, it wasn't exactly, like, anything special to me. It mm-hmm. was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I watched it as a kid, but that's all the, the value it had for me. Yeah. Um, because they finally do get away, yeah. and then they go to the creme de la creme of the film. Or oh, the master's. Into oh, no. the junkyard. No, well, no, not yet. They go into the, <laughs> they go into the master. they find the master where he lives. Um, who he lives in an apartment, which is weird how they find it because they go through the phone book. Oh yeah. And they're like, Oh, the, here it is. Like what? Like, how do you know that's master? Of course they got it like off the back. Um, so they get to master's apartment, which is a little bit of trivia on that. Um, so the film is considered many to be the prototypical Pixar. Many of Pixar's most, uh, important members include Joe Raff, Raffinen, Raff. And John Lasseter Lasseter were involved in the Brave Little Toaster's production. It also contains tropes that have become common Pixar film. Objects with human-like qualities, a long journey that changes the characters, and dark themes hidden in the guise of children's film. Here's the kicker. Even the famous A113, which is seen in all Pixar film, appears as the master's apartment number. Mm -hmm. Which is freaky. So they get into this apartment where they meet the new appliances. And those appliances are 80s as shit. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Like, their home system is a TV with, like, a stereo on it. And it's, like, rectangular, like, probably seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. But maybe, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 20 inches wide. Wow. Some shit like that. And I remember seeing a lot of those in the 80s growing up. We had a floor model that was, like... The TV is essentially sitting on the floor, but it's huge as shit, and it has the speakers built into like a wooden box. I had oh, I had one of those growing up. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that was that was what's his name? That was the master's TV too in his bedroom. Oh. And then like comes like this like '80s fucking Devo type like computer kind of musical that comes out, <laughs> talking about how more is uh, more is better. And, like, technology is the future. Mm-hmm. But you see all these items, they're old as shit. <laughs> like, well, now they're old as shit, which is funny because, what's his name? The lamp in Master's house mm-hmm. um, was just, like, a regular lamp. But he, like, joined in on the action. Like, yeah, I'm advanced technology. But he's just a regular fucking lamp. <laughs> Purple, ugly-ass lamp. It's like, you know, when white people are like, yeah, I can hang out with the black people, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with them, too. Yeah. Um, so being little pricks, the toys are thrown out into the trash can, into the junkyard. Mm-hmm. The toys <sighs> are, or the, oh, I'm sorry. The appliances. I'm thinking of the toy story. The appliances <laughs> are thrown into the, ju- into the dumpster and picked up by, um, trash truck, takes them to the junkyard. This is when the movie is fucking up nightmares now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I fell. I like, I gotta go take a step back. There's a scene in the movie where they're in the woods where Toaster's having a nightmare and he fall. He has a nightmare that he, he essentially 
burns a house down. <laughs> like he like his toast burns, smoke comes, the smoke turns into a giant hand, takes master into the house, and then like a demon clown from hell pops out of nowhere and goes, "Run." <laughs> and then runs. <laughs> and then he finds himself hanging off of a shower curtain and falls into, into a water. Into a tub. And I was just like, well, filled with water. I was like, what the fuck is that? What the hell is it? It's like a it's a realistic nightmare. Yeah. This shit was horrifying. <laughs> so back to the other horrifying part. <laughs> so they end up in the junkyard, and this is what Carrie, what Kelsey was alluding to. It was like like an apocalypse. Like Mad Max style apocalypse. Like the the sky was all dark, but it wasn't regular dark. It was like like well, it like, was gray. It was like gloomy, like I don't know, spooky monster time dark. Yeah, and then like then comes holy shit. Okay, they're trying to survive from this giant magnet that's just trying to take everything into the trash compactor mm-hmm. and squash into like a little cube. And there's like a bunch of like junk cards that have been smashed, demolished, and fucked up. Then they sing one of the most horrifying songs, which is called Worthless. <laughs> here, let me, let me find you one of the lyrics. I'm just like, wow. Okay, here we go. This is from Pink Convertible who sings his words. I just can't, I just can't, I just can't get to, I just can't seem to get started. Don't have the heart to live in the fast lane. All that is past and gone. <laughs> that's some depressing as shit it is um let's see there was one that i was like holy shit uh um i think it was the first one the blue sedan okay uh i can't take this kind of pressure i must confess one more dusty road would be just the road too long like i don't want to go on anymore yeah. Like, that, I want to fucking die now. That's like some hidden, like, suicide message. And the chorus after that is like, worthless. 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 Funny thing, though, that's a song I remember the most growing up. <laughs> and you you said, oh, I kind of liked that song when I was growing up. And now you're yeah, like, what the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> um, let's see. The brown car. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. And the black car goes, pardon me while I panic. Worthless. 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 <laughs> Okay, and then oh, where's Ward? okay? So actually, Red Sports Car is uh, a fucking serial rapist. Go on. I come from KC, Missouri, and I got my kicks out on Route 66. Every truck <gasps> stop from Butte to Mo. Oh my god! Maybe well, maybe it's not a serial rapist. Maybe just like loves them them prostitutes. Maybe. Maybe. And then watch. Here's one about like reg- I, I I don't know. It was regret. Or, okay, from old race car. I once ran the Indy 500. I must confess, I'm impressed how I did it. I wonder how close that I came. Now I get a sinking sensation. That's like, oh, like, oh. So, I, like, he doesn't remember what happened to him. He has amnesia. Okay. He fucking died on that racetrack. And he's like, oh, I get a feeling I didn't make it. Okay, and then he goes, I was, I was the top of the line, out of sight, out of mind. So much for fortune and fame. Yo. That dude is like, I had it all, now I'm worthless. Yeah. Fuck this. Oh, this is the one that got my attention. I was like, wait, listen to these lyrics. That Which whole one? started the whole thing. The Texan limousine. Oh, God. Okay, go Once on. Once took a Texan to a wedding. 
once took a text into a wedding. He kept forgetting his loneliness letting his thoughts turn to home and we turned. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Okay. And I thought it was like, he kept forgetting his loneliness, letting his thoughts turn to home and they turned. So like, it made me think that he like caused an accident or something. Something like that. Or maybe he like, he wanted to go home and he turned off of a cliff. Yeah. Because he's lonely. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay. Okay. Of course, here is the uh, sunshine of the bunch. Hearse. I took a man to a graveyard. I beg your pardon. It's quite hard enough. Just living with the stuff I've learned. <laughs> That's like saying, I've seen some shit, man. That uh, is, is bad. Okay, okay. Then here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Um, <laughs> green pickup. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just saw the one with uh, the beach station wagon. What's the beach station wagon? That's the one right after the hearse. Once drove a surfer to sunset. There were bikinis and <laughs> buns. There were weenies. Fellini just couldn't get, forget. Fellini was a dirty man. He was a dirty director. Federico, I'm, I'm assuming he's mean Federico Fellini. It's a dirty individual. This is a very perfect part of the song. <laughs> Pico, let's go Zuma. Pico, let's go Zuma. From Zuma to Yuma, the rumor was I had a hand in the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. Maybe he's talking about a, like a bobcat or something. Probably. And then we're going to go to the saddest one. Green pickup. I worked on a reservation. Ooh. <laughs> Who would believe they would love me and leave on a bus back to old Santa Fe? Once in an Indian nation, I took the kids on the skids where the Hopi was happy till I heard him say, you're worthless. <laughs> That's about abandonment. And then the truck, if you guys try to remember this, the truck proceeds to move forward. Okay. Actually, before I get to that, these cars that were singing, they were getting picked up by this, the giant magnet, dropped, crushed. All of them were getting dropped, crushed. Yeah, they'd finish their lines and then fucking die. Yeah. Truck, on the other hand, took off and landed in the conveyor belt, conveyor, conveyor belt and got crushed himself. That dude committed suicide. <laughs> Horrible. Oh, my God. Okay, so to let you guys know that we're not just making this shit up. Worthless is the, latest, is the last song in the movie, The Brave Little Toaster, sung by Junkyard Cars. Each car sings about his or her life story before he, she, he or she gets killed by the crusher. Because of this, it is frequently considered as one of the darkest songs in Disney films, along with Hellfire from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Despite its sad and depressing lyrics, it is somewhat fast-paced, giving it a feeling of anticipation for eight of the Junkyard Cars as they face their deaths. It also is a scene... It also sets the scene for Toaster and his his gang's final tri- uh, tri- tribulation. Yeah, this is a dark ass fucking song, and we're just kids like, it's horrifying. <laughs> Holy shit! I can't wait to show my kids this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter watched it. She was just like, oh, I've seen it already. Yeah, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then um, that was from the uh, Wiki fandom page for uh, Disney. So. A wiki? Wiki. Wiki. Yeah, wiki. I said wiki. It's wiki. You're wiki. saying wiki. Oh, wiki. Wiki? Wiki. Wiki. Sorry. Icky. Like icky? Oh, wiki. No. Uh, you... <laughs> All right, I'll stop. <laughs> okay, so then the movie continues to play out. The toy, the toys. I keep wanting to go back to Toy Story. The appliances are trying to survive, and this magnet is like trying to kill them. 
mm. trying to crush him. And at one point, the magnet loses his shit, starts functioning, like hyper-functioning, and then like sucks up all the, all the junk into one big ball, drops it along the conveyor belt, and all like the appliances are laid across. All at the same time, um, Master and his friend has been convinced to go and um, go to this junkyard because they're led to believe that they have like cheap appliances. Master finds a couple of his appliances and is like, oh, wow, this is great. Oh, this is amazing. What does the junkyard do? Creeps up. Gets rid of his eyes. Means the thing is fucking soulless now. Sucks up the, the appliances. Master won't let go. And then drops it in the conveyor belt. Where Master's going to be crushed to death. Mm. So this, I have to ask this question. I think the appliances or the whatever stuff that's alive, if you really want to, it could have killed the human race. Just like a rocket, for example. I'm a rocket. I'm going to blow up right here. And it blows up. Well, my question is, the master already gave up on his old appliances. No, he didn't. He wanted to go back. He went back to the cab. He went he back, went to, back the cab. to the cabin and didn't find them. And the TV told him where to go. Okay. So he's like, oh, cool. I'll just go to this junkyard and grab all these old appliances. Like, I don't need my appliances. I'll just find new old ones. Because I think he thought, like, they were stolen or lost. So, like. He goes there. My, I don't care about that part. My, my question is, why the fuck was he holding on to this shit when the thing was grabbing? Like, he just like let it go. He wanted to go Kirby. Those shits are expensive, though. Oh, yeah. No, I had a friend who owned one. Actually, I used to sell vac- Kirby vacuums for like a day. No, not even. No, not even. That's a story for a different time. So, yeah. Masters, what? Like, in a conveyor boat. He's going to be crushed. Toaster. Toaster sees in horror that his master is about to be crushed. The tint of the scene turns blood red. Master's like, like screaming like that. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to die scream. <laughs> Horrifying. Toaster sees this. You see it in his reflection on the toast. His eyes are widening. He jumps and lands in the gears and just commits to just like sacrifices himself to save master. Like, <laughs> and that's it. He turns to Donald Duck. And then it's like cut to the master and he has like all of the appliances and he's yeah. like trying to like straighten out the toaster yeah repairing it and shit yeah. and eventually he does but like he still ended up with those janky old fucking things <laughs> that were all busted instead of like buying like that's not the only old appliance that you could ever find in the world he was going retro he was he was a hipster before there was hipsters that's why I like you just give me this, this like, whatever kind of look. Yeah. None of that makes sense. They don't even try. <laughs> so, yeah, then they, like, that's it. Like, they um, they go with Master off to college. Mm-hmm. That's it. Ta-da. Ta-da. Happy Ta-da. ending. Happy ending. <laughs> um, for a lot of people who don't know, there's actually two more Brave Little Toaster movies. Uh, one came out 10 years later called The Brave Little Toaster. Um, let me find the name right now. Oh, The Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue. And then later did another one. I think it was called like the Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars or somewhere. Yeah. Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars that came out in 97. Okay. So they came out in two. Oh, whoa. Holy shit. Let me just look. Okay. So it's called the Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue, also known as the Brave Little Toaster Goes to School in 97. And then there is the Brave Little Toaster to Mars, which I think came out maybe in... 2007? Oh, here we go. 
the uh, the film along with Ghost of Mars is available on purchase or not. Blah 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 blah. So yeah, it's um. There's two more movies that came out after this. Not watching them. Why not? Don't you want to live? Yeah, I do. That's why I'm not watching them. <laughs> I fell asleep. There was a part where I did fall asleep. So some of what you were re- retelling right now, I was like, huh, really? That happened. <laughs> uh, okay, so a little bit to um, to kind of give you people the idea of the effect this movie had. Um, in, 2000, in a 2010 interview at Cal State Northridge, uh, Deanna Oliver, who played Toast, revealed that her son's deployment ceremony to Afghanistan some of the soldiers were fans of the film and had brought their toasters with them for her to autograph. <laughs> that is, I think that's some cool ass shit. It is. Uh, I remember, what else did they say? It, it was a smash hit at the Sundance Film Festival, but they couldn't find a, dis- a dis- uh, distributor. Uh, so what happens is that they aired it on the Disney Channel and appeared in Park City Film Festival. Um, it came out in portions and then finally, uh, finally got made into, it finally got releasing the theaters uh but then eventually it ultimately ended up on like uh video and that's you know that's how we got the version the polish got a version of this film uh the polish version cut of the polish version cut out the entire forest scene on some releases likely because the scene was too frightening for children the scene of the appliances is leaving the meadow fades straight to a waterfall scene with lampy who is Oh, who is female in this version, suddenly having her bulb burnt out with no apparent reason. So even the polls were like, this is pretty terrifying. <laughs> so, but, yeah. you know, yet they probably, this sounds like they left in the most terrifying part. The junkyard part. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had to end it. <laughs> that'd, been funny if, that'd been funny if the polls were like, hey, we're going to end it uh, before we're, the junkyard. We're going to cut the entire journey out. So the whole film is them trying to figure out how to leave the house. And then all of a sudden, the master has them at the end. Ta-da! Yeah, back That's the, the whole movie. Or how about this? How about this? How about this? <laughs> the Polish, they didn't want to have that whole junkyard scene. So, like, they get to the part where they get to the apartment, and then the new appliances kick them out into the dumpster. Boom. Credits. That would be the end of the movie. So, yeah. Brave Little Toaster. I remember loving this growing up as a kid. I'm kind of just, like, really whatever on it. Um... You 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 fell asleep while watching it. I did. So I know you're just like, whatever. <laughs> the only reason you want to show watch it again is to horrify your children, correct? Yes, just, but I don't hate it. I just not in love with it. Yeah, I mean it's not. It obviously would not hold up today because the music's so bad. It's, everything's so dated. Music yeah. is a big pain point for me with this one. Like yeah, it's got to have good music, and it doesn't. So yeah, I mean it has that catchy worthless tune but that kind of speaks volumes of what kind of person i am so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so we, we've been going a bit long but that is the end of our show uh the real appeal podcast uh, you can find us on twitter at appeal real uh you can find us also on facebook at a real appeal we have an instagram account called the real appeal and if you're listening to this, that means you are on a particular podcatcher. We are also on Podbean, uh, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast you're listening to. Uh, if you want to write to us, please do so. We are at uh, the real uphill uh, at Gmail. Real 
R-E-E-L. That goes for everything else that I've mentioned. It's real, R-E-E-L. And appeal, A-P-P-E-A-L. Uh, yes, please email because I need to talk about euphoria. Please. Oh, yes. Please. please. Like, watch euphoria. Kelsey wants to hear your thoughts on it, your theories on it. I would love to hear your thoughts on this stuff as well. Um, or, you know what? Just kind of write to us and be part of the show. Um, that's about it. That's what we're going to have for this week. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to be reviewing the latest Danny Boyle film, Yesterday. Yes. Which I'm looking forward to because Danny Boyle fan and I l- fucking love the Beatles. Mm. Uh, looks like a great film. Uh, the cinematic ger- geriatric. I'm sorry, the geriatric cinematic we have for next week. We haven't fully decided yet. Uh, we don't know how we're going to go about it. We might pick a musical. Or we might pick a Boyle film, Danny Boyle film. We don't know yet, but we'll give you guys a heads up uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Give us a follow, give us a like, and check us out. And that's going to be our show for this week. We love you guys. Bye.